Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. This is part of the Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 9, Conclusion of Jesus Was Married, pages 100 to 103. We'll start with the reader program, which is about nine minutes long, and then we'll read it with commentary. Here we go. Conclusion of Jesus was married, chapter 9, pages 100 to 103. Neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. I call. 11. 11. When Jesus was alive, general public opinion was in error about his divine mission. Today it is in error concerning his marital status. The concept of his celibacy was promoted by celibate and became popular through the Mother Church of Catholicism. Celibate priests believed that unmarried men were more righteous than those who were married. But Jesus advocated the laws of Judaism, not the alien apostate doctrines that were influencing the early Christian church. The Apostle Paul warned the church against these influences. But the ultimate victory over true Christian doctrines is evident. To any reader of the Bible it is obvious that God's first law to man was to be fruitful and multiply, and the first marriage of record was solemnized by God himself. Never has he, from that day to this, promoted or advocated the laws of celibacy nor barrenness for righteous men and women. Believing that Jesus was married, according to divine law, is logical and reasonable. 101. Propagation of species is a law of nature. It is a divine principle ordained for all living things. Can it be sanctioned in the lives of animals, plants, fowls and fish, and not for mankind? Yet it is considered by some to be too base, carnal and sinful for Christ and his disciples. Perhaps our modern, immoral, and sinful world is too filled with wickedness to make a proper judgment. They may be too carnal-minded to understand anything virtuous. But then they have only the basis of an apostate form of Christianity upon which to make their judgment. There is a divine law of marriage ordained and commanded by God, and Jesus came to fulfill that law. He could not teach men to be fruitful and multiply, and then become celibate himself. Could he reach one thing and leave another? He was the good shepherd advocating all men to follow him, for he said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill. His life, including obedience to the marriage covenant, was the only perfect example set for all mankind to follow. If Protestant and Catholic ministers believe that Jesus was a celibate priest, 
then they, too, should follow that lifestyle. If they think that celibacy is a law so honored by Christ, then they are hypocrites for being married. Neither should they perform marriage ceremonies for others. A great many important and solemn truths have been buried and forgotten throughout the centuries of the past. These truths would remain forever dead if we were to depend solely upon the philosophy of men to restore them. Man handled teachings which pass through the generations of time seldom if ever bring forth any new disclosures. It is only through the revelations of God, or the discovery of ancient documents that such knowledge can be restored. For this reason new revelation has always aroused the wrath and resentment of the tradition-bound populace. That Jesus was married is just such an antagonizing doctrine. 102. At this doctrine the long-faced hypocrite and the sanctimonious bigot will probably cry, blasphemy horrid perversion of God's word. Wicked wretch. He is not fit to live. Etc., etc., but the wise and reflecting will consider, read, and pray. If God be not our father, grandfather, or great-grandfather, or some kind of a father in reality, indeed and in truth, why are we taught to say, our father who art in heaven? How much soever of holy horror this doctrine may excite in persons not impregnated with the blood of Christ, and whose minds are consequently dark and benighted, it may excite still more when they are told that if none of the natural blood of Christ flows in their veins, they are not the chosen or elect of God. Object not, therefore, too strongly against the marriage of Christ, but remember that in the last ace, secret and hidden things must come to light and that your life also, which is in the blood, is hid with Christ in God. Erzin Hyde, JD 4, 260, without the evidence of ancient papyrus, the conclusiveness of the scriptures, or the light of new revelation, reason alone should convince the mind that Jesus was married. Believing in a Christ who lived a life without the personal feelings of a father toward his children or a husband for his wife, is nearly unimaginable. It requires a perverted Christianity to believe in a God without body, parts, or passions, and it also requires a similar superstition to believe in a lonely, secluded, celibate Christ. Jesus often prayed and taught about our Father in Heaven, which signified a family relationship. And, if there is a father and children, it is positive evidence that there is a husband and wife. The family framework is the building element for adding glory to man and the gods. A family union, just as the principle of love, can become an everlasting blessing to man. 103. The tender ties of the heart and the sacred ordinances of the gospel are meant to blend into a perpetual unity for all eternity. Why should a man's feelings of love for his family be subjected to the short duration of mortality? Who dares to imagine that a mother's love for her child, or a husband's love for his wife will instantly vanish at the grave? Is there the least possibility that these divine passions are meant to be cut asunder at death, leaving a family doomed separation and singleness forever? 
the very thought is repulsive. When God created man, he made a decree that it is not good that man should be alone, and so he created woman. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him male and female created he them. The mold of man and woman was patterned after the image and likeness of the gods. Such a creation of man and woman had a divine purpose. It is the charm and loveliness of a wife that is among the purest and most heavenly influences to touch the heart of man. The delight and attractiveness of a good woman will motivate and inspire man to a love of all that is good. Every attribute and characteristic of man and woman was created for a continuation in eternity. Every qualification which will render them happy in mortality will be increased and perfected into a majesty, glory, and excellence that will lead them to greater dominions, principalities and powers forever and ever. Surely, if man was created to inherit such an honorable destiny, it is only logical to assume that Jesus will inherit as much. Both reason and evidence compel us to admit that Jesus was married. Conclusion of Jesus Was Married, Chapter 9, Pages 100 to 103. Neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. 1 Corinthians, Chapter 11, Verse 11. When Jesus was alive, general public opinion was in error about his divine mission. Today it is in error concerning his marital status. The concept of his celibacy was promoted by celibates and became popular through the Mother Church of Catholicism. So it was because of the hijacking of the Roman Church that the celibate priests um, were implemented and because of the pagan hijacking of the early Christian church. They taught the celibate Jesus. But we know, according to Hebrew custom and tradition, that a man who refused to be married was worse than a murderer. And the reason for that was that he willingly chose not to have children which would affect generations upon generations of people. One interesting thing about this is that nowhere in the Brit Hadashah or the New Testament was Jesus ever confronted for his so-called celibacy. If he was celibate and not married and did not have children, they would have condemned him for it. They would have said he was a cursed individual. I mean, we can look at other individuals in the scriptures and see that every time a, a man and a woman was barren and did not have children, it was like a big deal. 
And if Jesus wasn't married, it would have been big enough of a deal for them to call him out on it, but they never did. Continuing with the reading, celibate priests believed that unmarried men were more righteous than those who were married, but Jesus advocated for the laws of Judaism, not the alien apostate doctrines that were influencing the early Christian church. The Apostle Paul warned the church against these influences, but their ultimate victory over true Christian doctrines is evident. To any reader of the Bible, it is obvious that God's first law to man was to be fruitful and multiply, and the first marriage was recorded and solemnized by God himself. Never has he, from that day to this, promoted or advocated the laws of celibacy nor barrenness for righteous men and women. Believing that Jesus was married according to divine law is logical and reasonable. Page 101. The propagation of species is a law of nature. It is a divine principle ordained for all living things. Can it be sanctioned in the lives of animals, plants, and fish and not for mankind yet is yet it is considered by some to be too base carnal and sinful for Christ and his disciples except for we know that his disciples were married you know there's a lot of cognitive dissonance that has to go into this idea that Jesus wasn't married and it comes from the false traditions of apostate Christianity and the false traditions of apostate Christianity come from Romans hijacking early Christianity and teaching their false doctrines to lead the people astray. And that's why there had to be a restoration in the fullness of times. That's why God still has prophets on the earth. Ephesians chapter 4 says that the church is built up of prophets and apostles until all come in the unity of the faith. As I look around the Christian world today, I do not see a unity in the faith. I see all kinds of different branding apostate gospels. So many false traditions have even crept into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which had a true prophet whose name was Joseph Smith. Over time, they have changed doctrine that Jesus is the grandson of Jehovah. But today they teach that Jesus and Jehovah are the same person, even though it contradicts Ether chapter 3. Where Jesus says, never at any time have I appeared unto man. And this was after the flood that Jehovah had appeared before the flood to many individuals. And in Ether chapter 3, he says, this is my spirit body. And I will not come with this body until the meridian of time. But Jehovah sat down with the resurrected body and had a meal with Abraham. A meal of meat and dairy with other resurrected individuals who had bodies. 
Now, did you ever think about that? Like, before the resurrection, there were angels that had bodies. That's because they were resurrected on a former planet. A former mortal probation. But Jesus didn't have a body until the meridian of time. There's so many doctrines that have changed in the Restoration just in the last hundred years. 120, 30, 40 years. And that's one of the reasons I do these, these programs, to show how much the Church has changed. And is it any wonder that Jesus said in Doctrine and Covenants, section 85, that he would have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order? In fact, maybe we should go and read that book next to talk about the one mighty and strong. But before I do that, the one mighty and strong is mentioned in two different places. Actually, the one mighty and strong is mentioned all throughout Isaiah, but the people don't understand it. He is the Davidic servant. But let me just tell you, in Isaiah chapter 28, it, it gives what the mission of the one mighty and strong is that Isaiah saw that God would send one mighty and strong and a sign for his coming would be waves that heave themselves beyond their bound, a major event that would mark the time of his coming. And throughout the Isaiah chapter 28 and DNC 85, it says that not only will he set the house of God in order, but he would teach they who are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. So this is the, the main mission of the one mighty and strong, is to teach true doctrine and to help the drunkards of Ephraim who are drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great to return to their first works, to return to the restoration, to realize that they have gone off the path, with it, which is the very definition in Hebrew of iniquity. As God has given us the instructions and revelations in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Doctrine and Covenants, we should be following that path. But today, there is no gathering of Israel, even though there's no revelation that ever stopped the gathering of Israel, but because of the Reed Smoot hearings and because of the interruption of Babylon the Great into the Restoration, the Church now teaches that Zion is wherever you're at, even though that, too, contradicts Scripture. There's 16 million members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, yet there is not one united order. We all covenant to live the law of consecration in the temple. And the devil used to come out in the temple of the teaching experience so that we would know that all they who make these covenants who don't live up to them will be in his power. Of course, they changed that too. They've taken that out of the endowment. They've taken so many other things out of the endowment as well. The lecture at the veil, the Adam-God doctrines in the endowment, but they refuse to... To accept it, even though it was taught by Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball and John Taylor and Joseph Smith himself. But they've tried to smooth out the gospel to make it more popular with the Christians. 
Know ye not that to be friends with the world is to be at enmity or in opposition with God? Yet they relinquish the truth of the of the gospel and the restoration for a mess of pottage. And you look around the church today and not one united order exists. Genesis chapter 9 of the Inspired Translation says that when a people live all that I have commanded and they establish Zion below, then Zion will come down up from above with the church of the firstborn. When a people have lived all that I have commanded, that's when Zion is redeemed. Isaiah saw that that Zion would be born in the wilderness in the desert regions by a remnant of the people. Are you going to be part of the remnant? Or are you going to continue to follow an apostate Christianity and do what they have done, relinquishing the truth, even though a prophet has restored that truth so that you can be popular with the world and be friends with mammon? DNC section 85 says, I, the Lord God, will send one mighty and strong, holding the scepter of power in his hands, clothed with light for a covering, that he may set in order the house of God, which implies it would become out of order, and it has. But the teaching of the one mighty and strong and the ministry of the one mighty and strong is to set the house of God in order, and we see that in Isaiah chapter 28, that it is through the teaching of the one mighty and strong that the house of God is set in order. There's more to it than that, but that is the basic mission of the one mighty and strong is to call the drunkards of Ephraim to repentance, to turn back to their first works, and to stop making idols of men and turn to God. That is my mission as the one mighty and strong. That's why I do these programs. Not only to be a witness of God, the Father, and the Son, who I have seen face to face, but to give you true doctrine and to show you that things have changed in an effort to help you realize you, the state of your awful situation, that you might turn back and repent and turn back to the first works of the restoration. But anyway, continuing, perhaps our modern immoral and sinful world is too filled with wickedness to make a proper judgment. They may be too carnal-minded to understand anything virtuous, but then they have only the basis of an apostate form of Christianity upon, to which, upon which to make their own judgments. There is a divine law of marriage ordained and commanded by God and Jesus came to fulfill the law. And once again, when a rabbi or somebody of a Hebrew mindset says to fulfill the law, he means to live it perfectly. Jesus came to live the laws of God perfectly as an example of how we should live. Continuing, he could not teach men to be fruitful and multiply and then become a celibate himself. And like I said before, if he was celibate and never married, they would have pulled that would have pulled that out to to condemn him. Because it was a cursed thing for a man to remain celibate and unmarried. But they never condemned him for it. 
because he was married and he did have children. In fact, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a family member of Jesus Christ, took Jesus' family up beyond Hadrian's Wall out of the Roman Empire for fear that they would kill his family as well. Scotland was never conquered by the Romans, and they they went right up to Hadrian's Wall, and that's where they ended. And the family of Jesus and his wives and children went into Scotland, and that's where the blood of Jesus is today. In fact, it's interesting that the Smith family, Joseph Smith's family, actually came from royalty in Scotland. They, he wasn't English. Anyway, continuing, could he research or could he reach one thing and live another? I'm sorry. I, you know what? I think this is a typo. Could he teach one thing and live another? I'm gonna have to call Beverly Kraut, uh, Kevin Kraut's wife and daughter-in-law of Kevin Kraut. I mean, Ogden Kraut, and tell her, "Hey, I found a typo." <laughs> She's the one that's in charge of all of this, so. He was the good shepherd, advocating all men to follow him, for he said, I came not to destroy the law or the Torah or the instructions, but to fulfill. Yeah, he came to live God's instructions perfectly, as we all must do. When a people live all that I have commanded, then Zion will be redeemed. The sacrificial portion of the law was done away with because Jesus fulfilled that, but the instructions in the Torah are still applicable. The holy days of Jehovah are still applicable. We know that in the millennium, according to Ezekiel 37 and Zechariah chapter 14, and other places that God still, in the millennium, will have sacrifices, memorial sacrifices, and that people will still be living and observing the high holy Sabbath, and there are seven of them in the instructions of God in this in the scriptures. Jesus's life, including obedience to the marriage covenant, was the only perfect example set for all mankind to follow. See, he lived the law as an example of how we should live. Now, yeah, there's been some things that were done away with in the instructions, like circumcision. And I believe that circumcision was done away with because back in the old days, like, you didn't want the Hebrew people intermingling with the Gentiles. And a Gentile might try to look like a Hebrew, but he's not going to get the circumcision done. So if a woman buries a man before they consummate, she can see that he has not been circumcised and then she can withdraw from him. And that during that time that was that was a requirement, but we know in the Book of Mormon that it was done away with. And there's other things that are done away with too, like because they were fulfilled, the sacrificial sacrifices or whatever, but in Ezekiel 37, like I said, in the millennium, 
there is a memorial sacrifice in the temple that is dying. It talks about it. Anyway, continuing on. If Protestants and Catholic ministers believe that Jesus was a celibate priest, then they too should follow that lifestyle. If they think that celibacy is the law so honored by Christ, even though there was no law of celibacy in the Torah, then they are hypocrites for being married. Neither should they perform marriage ceremonies forever. A great many important and solemn truths have been buried and forgotten throughout the centuries of the past. These truths would remain forever dead if they were to depend solely upon the philosophy of men to restore them. Man-handled teachings, which pass through the generations of time, seldom, if ever, bring forth any new disclosure. It is only through the revelations of God or the discovery of ancient documents that such knowledge can be restored. And you know what? It is. It has been restored. Some of it is in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but the Dead Sea Scrolls threaten to upend the false traditions of of modern Christianity that they try to bury them. And if it wasn't for um, certain individuals bringing forth lawsuits to try to unbury some of these things that have been discovered, we wouldn't even know about them. I was just listening to a video last night as I was driving my truck about the Thanksgiving Psalms and how these Psalms were the Psalms written down by Jesus before his ministry. They're beautiful. People should know about them, but the Christian world wants to hide them. For this reason, new revelation has always aroused the wrath and resentment of, of the tradition-bound populace. That Jesus was married is just such an antagonizing doctrine. Page 102. At this doctrine, the long-faced hypocrite and the sanctimonious bigot will cry blasphemy, horrid perversion of, of God's word, you wicked wrench, he is not fit to live, etc., etc. But the wise and reflecting will consider, read, and pray. If God be not our father, grandfather or great-grandfather or some other kind of father in reality indeed and in truth why are we taught to say our father who art in heaven how much soever of holy horror this doctrine may excite in persons not impregnated with the blood of christ and whose minds are consequently dark and benighted it may excite still more when they are told that if none of the natural blood of Christ flows in their veins, they are not the chosen or the elect of God. Object not, therefore, too strongly against the marriage of Christ, but remember that in the last days secret and hidden things must come to light, and that your life also, which is in the blood, is hid with Christ in God. Orson Hyde, Journal of Discourses, Volume 4, page 260. Without the evidence of ancient papyri, the conclusiveness of the scriptures, or the light of new revelation, reason alone should convince the mind 
that Jesus was married, and it's only because of the false traditions of apostate Christianity that they would reject this idea. Because they don't understand the Hebrew culture or mindset that Jesus Christ was living, was raised in, and that he followed. The Jesus that they follow comes from pagan Rome. Not the Hebrew Jesus. And his name, by the way, was Yeshua, not Joshua. There's no J in the Hebrew alphabet. There's no Jesus. His name was Yeshua. But anyway. Believing in Christ, who lived a life without the personal feelings of a father towards his husband or... or sorry. Feelings of a father towards his children or a husband for his wife is nearly unimaginable. It requires a perverted Christianity, and I'd say an apostate Christianity, to believe in a God without a body, parts, or passions. And it also requires a similar superstition to believe in a lonely, secluded, celibate Christ. Now, I know some people out there are like, well, doesn't the scripture say that God is a spirit? Yeah, the Holy Ghost is a spirit, and he is considered God. But Joseph Smith taught that he would come in the flesh and do the same or similar things as Jesus did. So the Holy Spirit doesn't always just not have a body. But Jesus Christ had a body. So did the Father. Scripture is not for private interpretation. You don't just get to take Scripture and say, well, doesn't the Scripture say... Well, if the scripture says it, and you don't have a proper interpretation of scripture, you get 10,000 or maybe even 10 million different gospels. Because everybody perverts the word in their own mind. It, in the scriptures it says, trust not in the arm of flesh, or make flesh your arm. What that means is that you don't even trust in your own flesh, your own logic to, to come up with doctrine... You take what you learn after you've studied out to the best of your ability and you ask God if it's correct. You ask for visions and revelations, which are gifts of the Holy Spirit, which should be in the church today, among all of its members, not just its leaders. It is up to us not to, to be led by the flesh or to trust in the flesh, but to get revelation and confirmation of the Spirit for ourselves. God speaks to our mind with thoughts and also to our hearts with the influence of the fruit of the Spirit, which is talked about in Galatians chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, which is love and peace and joy and pure intelligence. If you're only getting revelation in your mind without confirmation of the Holy Spirit, you need to test the Spirit, for thereby many false prophets have gone out in the land, in the world. They get revelation, but the Spirit never confirms it. And they teach their false doctrine, which is horrible, because in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, all they who believe the lie receive strong delusion that they might be damned because they didn't love the truth. And it's because they didn't love the truth of God enough to go to God the Father as a little child and get confirmation of the Spirit for themselves. A true prophet will teach the truth and teach people how to get revelation for themselves and teach people how to get confirmation 
not just to listen to him because he says a thing, but to bear witness of the truth and then tell the people to get that truth for themselves, to be founded upon the rock of revelation, not the sands of speculation. Continuing, Jesus, Jesus often prayed and taught about our Father in heaven, which significantly signified a family relationship. We are the children of God. He is our Father. Jesus becomes our Father through the law of adoption because he paid for our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane and sealed that upon the cross. And we become his children. But Revelation chapter 1 says that Jesus Christ hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. When Jesus went to, to Mary, he said, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascended to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Michael is the Father of Jesus Christ. That was restored in the Restoration, but these things have been done away with. You know, it's interesting. Brigham Young taught these doctrines... And he learned them from Joseph Smith. But the church today, the modern church today, will say, the prophet can never lead you astray. The president of the church can never lead you astray. But on the other hand, they talk about Brigham Young as though he had many opinions which led the people astray in false doctrines. Which is it? I ascended to my father and to your father. Well, who is her father? That's Father Adam, who is Michael, the Ancient of Days. And to your God and to my God, who is that? That's Jehovah, your Elohim, who is the grandfather of Jesus Christ. He hath made us kings and priests unto God, that's Michael, and his father, that's Jehovah, your Elohim. Jesus, Jesus often prayed and taught about our Father in Heaven, which signified a family relationship. And if there is a father and children, it is positive evidence that there is a husband and a wife. And the family framework is, to, is the building element for adding glory to man and the God's a family union, just as the principle of love, can become an everlasting blessing to man. Page 103. The tender ties of the heart and the sacred ordinances of the gospel are meant to blend into a perpetual unity for all eternity. Why should a man's feelings of love for his family be subjected to the short duration of mortality who dares imag to imagine that a father's or a mother's love for her child or a husband's love for his wife will instantly vanish at the grave is there the least possibility that these divine passions are meant to be cut asunder at death leaving a family doomed separation and single forever the very thought is repulsive 
When God created man, he made the decree that it is not good that man should be alone. And so he created the woman. And he said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. That was the father and the mother in heaven. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. The mold of man and woman was patterned after the image and likeness of the gods. Such a creation of man and woman had a divine purpose. It is the charm and loveliness of a wife that is among the most purest, and most heavenly influence influences to touch the heart of a man. The delight and attractiveness of a good woman will motivate and inspire a man to love, to the love of all that is good. Every attribute and characteristic of man and woman was created for a continuation in eternity. Every qualification which will render them happy in mortality, will be increased and perfected into the majesty, glory, and excellence that will lead them to a greater dominions, principalities, and powers forever and ever. Surely if man was created to inherit such an honorable destiny, it is only logical to assume that Jesus will inherit as just as much. Both reason and evidence compel us to admit that Jesus was married. So that's the end of the reading. This is one of the first books that I read of Ogden Krauts. And uh, it hooked me. You know, he read over, or he wrote over 70 books and pamphlets about the the restoration of the gospel. You can find this book and others of his books on the restoration at ogdenkraut.com. So, I just want to thank everyone for listening to this program. I'm not sure which book we're going to get into next. Maybe we'll get into The One Mighty and Strong, which, by the way, I have to say something. One thing that drives me a little bit insane about the doctrine of The One Mighty and Strong is the false traditions of men and women, that they think that there's only one who is mighty and strong. In 2013, I was crying before the in prayer and God came to me and he said kneel down before me and ask me who you are that was January of 2013 and I was taken up and he showed me a vision of the pre-existence and he taught me things in that vision and he spoke to me in that vision and he showed me a vision of the pre-existence and he taught me that for this earth there is God the creator 
God the Redeemer and God the Witness, and that they were mighty and strong before the Father of this earth, who is Jehovah Elohim. That's Michael the Creator, who helped create this earth, Yeshua, or Jesus the Redeemer, and the Hillel, or the Light Bearer of Truth, who is... who is the, well, the office of Lucifer. That's the office, the bearer of light and truth. And he showed me that Lucifer rebelled and fell and lost his office and became Satan. But the office of the light bearer, which in Hebrew is Hillel, that this individual would be the one who would be called God the Witness. When Lucifer lost that title, he became Satan and he fell, right? So another was chosen to take his place. But I also saw that in front of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost were twelve who were considered mighty and strong. So when Jesus says in section 85 that he will send one mighty and strong, he doesn't say, I will send the one one mighty and strong. Because for this earth, there are fifteen. Not one, and not three, but the Father, God the Creator, God the Redeemer and God the Witness are considered mighty and strong as well. So, I don't know. We might get into uh, some, you know, I don't know what we're going to read. I might go read The Mysteries of Creation, which is my favorite book. We might read The One Mighty and Strong. I'll have to pray about it. We might read one about the United Order. Maybe you could email me. Um, Anybody can message me by going to Facebook and and typing in facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977 and then just click on the message. I always check multiple times a day all of my uh, messages when people are trying to connect to me. And uh, I don't always have time to respond because I work so much and I'm just exhausted lately. I've been so tired this whole week. In fact, last night I had to cut one of my loads down to a a short haul so I can do long hauls or short hauls. And long hauls are just basically they take two and a half hours to do and short hauls take like an hour and a half to do. And usually I do three or four long hauls in one or two short hauls, but last night I was just so exhausted that I I had to stop multiple times because um, to walk around the truck, I, that's how I wake up in the middle of the night, and um, driving around all over the place for all of these years for, you know, since 1995... Actually, I started driving truck in 94, but I got my CDL in 95. Anyway, but um, all these years, my body hurts all the time. And sleeping in the daytime is really hard. I have to take sleeping pills. I have to take pain pills so that I, I can overcome the pain that I feel all the time, every day. And... Um, the more I work, so I, I start my, my, I usually take Friday night to Saturday night off, and sometimes I take Saturday night to Sunday evening off as well, 
so, you know, I work Sunday night through thir- uh, Friday morning, but I'm just tired all the time, and I wish that this could be like a full-time ministry, but I have a family to take care of, and I have to work. <laughs> so, I just don't have time to respond to everybody, but I do try, and I do read everything that you send, so... Anyway, I think we're going to be done with the program for today. I don't know when we'll be back on. I'll have to figure that out. I might do another show tomorrow. It just depends. That's why it's a podcast, not a radio show anymore. So, Anyway, I hope everybody has a wonderful day. And I hope that you take the things that I have shared with you and you get revelation for yourself if you want. I mean, these things aren't required for salvation. But I think that they're good to learn about, to learn about who our Savior was, to learn about what truth is. Anyway, I leave these things with you in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. So, I pre-recorded that today. I'm live now. The guest call-in number is music so much it calms me down as I'm reading sometimes I'll just listen to that music while I'm driving my truck at night Kim are you there your headset's muted yes I'm here hi so just for the audience uh, like I meant for this to be just a podcast but I realized it was under an hour long And because it was under an hour long, I could put it in my studio and let it play. Um, Anything over an hour, I have to, like, make it the whole show. But anything that I can record that's under an hour, I can actually play it and be on live like I am right now and um, take calls. So, like I said before, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And uh, if we don't have any phone calls, that's fine. But uh, I just wanted to open up the line. So the studio is open now. Anyway, today is my daughter's 13th birthday. So they're all doing cake without me, which is fine because I'm a diabetic and I shouldn't be eating that stuff anyway. 
I can hear Arius yelling in the background. <laughs> yeah. Because all the other kids, when I'm like, quiet, I have to unmute the mic to be on the radio show. Everybody else is quiet, but the two-year-old doesn't know. So we're actually <laughs> like, waiting to sing happy birthday. Oh. <laughs> so you have a Because I can't record. Table? Yeah, I can't record while I'm on the phone, and I was like, okay, but if I hang up on the radio show, then it will stop playing, so. Yeah. Yep, and that's fine. Um, I The other reason why I decided to do a live program today is because I know you like to study with me, but it seems like our lives are so busy that we can't, but I thought, well, if I have this thing that's under an hour, you could listen while you were doing all the stuff that you have to do all the time, and you could just listen while you were doing whatever it is, like for myself. I mean, I read this earlier today, and then I listened to it to make sure it was all right, and then I posted it to, to go live at 6, and now I'm listening to it again for the third time today, which I think is fine for me because uh, repetition helps me a ton, right? Yeah, and I love this stuff. And then with the music that I found to be part of the program, I love that music. It's so calming and relaxing to me that, uh, I don't know, I I wish I would have known about it before. I mean, the old, remember back in 2014, 15, and 16 when I tried all kinds of different ways to make the podcast sound good, but everything sounded like crap. <laughs> I think it actually sounds yeah. good now. So, anyway, did you have any comments about anything that uh, we that I read tonight? Um, no, I didn't. Okay. It's that's. Um, I don't know. We've talked about all of that before. I feel like. And also, um, I have, have laryngitis, <laughs> so I can't really talk. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm actually on wash plant, so I'm just waiting to get to the top okay. of the hill. I'm almost to the top. <laughs> okay. I know a lot of times um, when you, people are um, they study and read scripture, you know, and uh, read it and, and try to ponder and pray about it and stuff. But one thing that actually helps me out a lot um, is when you look into the history of um, the Jewish people, if you listen to the history of the times back then, and um, if you have an understanding of that time, it'll help you to understand the um, scriptures better. Yeah, it's all all written with a a Hebrew mindset, and when people read it with a Gentile mindset, they don't get the full meaning of things. So one of the 
people that I like to read is Rob Kay's Mormon Yeshiva, which anybody can put it in Rabbi Google, <laughs> Mormon Yeshiva, and go find his articles. But he was a Jew that converted to the Restoration and is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But he really understands, because he went to Yeshiva as a child, Yeshiva is the Jewish religious school. So when he reads the Book of Mormon or even the Old or New Testament, he understands things from a Hebrew mindset and it helps open your eyes to things. Because the scriptures really are, you can read the surface level and then there's like multiple levels of meaning below the surface. But if you don't have a, a Hebrew mindset, you might not be able to understand that there's deeper meanings to things that are written all throughout the Book of Mormon and the Bible. So, anyway, um, if you don't have anything else to say, and we don't have any callers, and there's nobody in the guest chat room, I guess I'll just end the program. I, I wish I could do this every night at 6 p.m. I think that would work for me. It's just that Sometimes, like yesterday, Kim's tire was flat when I got her when um, she went to go to work. So we were all scrambling for that, and I didn't go to bed till 9 a.m. And then I tried to sleep as much as I could and get up at 4 so I could get ready to work. And it's just things like that that make it so it's really hard to be able to do a radio show and be on the same time every day or even just create the podcasts at all. But um, I do try. And uh, I, I also wanted to say uh, there is an individual who insists on paying me tithing. And um, I've told him I don't want his money, but uh, he told me that God told him to pay me tithing because so, I'm the one that teaches him. And uh, I just wanted to tell my friend David that I'm really grateful for that and that I'm using his money to um, that he sent me to push the advertising and boost the posts on Facebook so that more people can be aware of this ministry and the teachings that are going forth through this program. So I just wanted to thank David personally, and I've told him before, but I want to thank him publicly of course, I won't say his last name because I don't want him to get in trouble. He's still a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But uh, he's going to be obedient to God. And God told him to send his tithing money to me through PayPal. So I'm thankful for that. So anyway, um, all right, well, uh, before we wrap it up, is there any last thing that you had to say before we go? They're all sitting here still waiting to sing happy birthday to Olivia. Okay. Happy birthday, Olivia. I will call back in just one minute on winter off the air oh. and then uh, just wait for me. Anyway. To sing happy right, birthday well, to her with the camera on, and I can't be on the phone with my camera on. That's what the problem is. Okay. I know. You just told me that a minute ago, okay. so I understand that. All right. So the program's over with. Thank okay. you. Everyone for listening. Take care. God bless and goodbye.